Shravya, did you hear? We're bringing back the Aces and Double Fault segment. Well, of course I heard. What's your double fault? Roland Garros. The entire tournament. Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Shravya. And Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shari and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Looks like we're on episode 62 today, and today is June 3rd. Today we actually have a great episode lined up with two special guests. So they're actually about to introduce themselves. So how about you guys introduce yourselves along with some of your favorite players and favorite Grand Slam? Yeah, sure. So my name is Eli. Um, my favorite players are in order, Pablo Carreño Busta, Alejandro <laughs> Davidovich Fakina, and Naomi Osaka. Um, I'd say my favorite Grand Slam is the Australian Open. I'm kind of a morning person slash late night person. So not a lot <laughs> of sleep. I enjoy that. No, that's a good pick. That is a good pick. Uh, my name's Miller. Um, I'll get some hate for this, but I'm, my favorite player is Novak Djokovic. Then, <laughs> Canceled. You can leave. You can, It was nice having you on, Miller. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, I promise. <laughs> um, and like Eli, I'm a big Alejandro Davidovich Fikina fan, um, and I really love Diego Schwartzman also. Um, <gasps> oh, okay. Maybe we'll keep you on just for that. Like, I think the loving Diego Schwartzman might, like, take care of the Novak Everyone loves part. him. Everyone loves him. You have to love him. Exactly. And then, in terms of favorite Grand Slam, Australian Open, first of all, like, I love every year I wake up for the final. Well, at least most years when Djokovic is in it. So, every year <laughs> I wake up for the final. Um, and it's just, like, a, it's, like, a great memory I have every year. And I just love the tournament because um, it's, like, real fans, finally after like the u.s open where everybody's like drunk all the time <laughs> josephina eli and i eli and i probably like waking up for the 2017 and 18 australian open finals since then we just like don't care no, um, I, I didn't like i didn't like those i woke up and i went back to bed <laughs> yeah, i must uh, add that my love for the australian open comes in spite of Novak winning it every time um, that's, that's <laughs> not an aspect of it that i support all right, so yes, Eli and Miller are joining us today since uh, Roland Garros deserves to, we need to lighten the mood a bit since this Grand Slam is quite depressing, so we wanted to have some new voices in. Um, and before we kind of get into recapping some of the second round matches and going into previewing the third round matches, um, Eli and Miller, this is something that Josephine and I did in our, our uh, Roland Garros preview episode, but... Um, how about you guys share your predictions of who you think is going to win the tournament, both on the ATP and the WTA side, and then your personal favorite of who you want to win the tournament? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I mean, in terms of who's going to win, I have to be pretty boring here. Like, Rafa's probably going to win just based on what we've seen so far and what we've seen for the last 15 years. Um, and on that theme, I'd say Iga's also probably going to win um, as things stand. I think the draw has cleared up significantly um, with, with Barty going out and the bottom half looks pretty weak. Not a lot of um, experience in Grand Slam finals besides Serena on that half. Um, so I would say those are my predictions. Miller, do you want to go ahead with that? 
Yeah, I would say, in terms of predictions, like, I have to go with Rafa again. Like, it's so boring, but I have to. <laughs> I obviously hope for a great Djokovic victory. Six love, six love, six love in the semifinals. Let's not forget who, let's not forget who got bageled in the final of the French Open last year. I'm moving past that. Um, in terms of the women, in terms of the women's side, um, probably Iga again. I would hope maybe Serena. Like I'm just kind of hoping for her. I think she really like. I mean, I've been saying this for years. I think she really deserves it, and I would love to see her win again. And I think the French Open might be her best chance, just in terms of the surface. Um, I think it might be a good bet for her. She's won here before. She loves the crowd. I mean, obviously, there's not much of a crowd this year, but. I, I think she has an outside chance of winning. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys went with the boring pick of Nadal. I also went with the boring pick for Nadal. Josefina sometimes likes to spice things up with their predictions. Josefina, do you want to remind people? Yeah, so my pick was actually Dominic Thiem. Obviously, that <laughs> didn't go well because he lost in the first round. And, I mean, Barty was my women's pick, so obviously that's not going well either. Oh, well, <laughs> it's okay. Um, do you guys have any players who you would really like to see come through with the trophy, but maybe don't have as clear of a shot of winning? I mean, yeah, Pablo is always my answer for that one. It- but in terms of, I actually <laughs> think if he can manage to get past Tsitsipas, then he has a chance to make it to the finals. But, but, but yeah, light work, his, light work to just get his past Tsitsipas. Head to head against Rafa with like no competitive sense kind of makes that impossible. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess I'll go Tsitsipas. I mean, I think of the the players in the bottom half that we like, I think he's the only one that has a chance of winning the final um, and spicing up the big three era. So yeah, I'll go for him. I mean, of course, I, you know what I'm going to say already. I would love to see Djokovic win, even though I don't think he will, but. I mean, clearly, if he makes the final, he will win uh, because the bottom half of the draw seems pretty wide open. I mean, unless you have Sitsabas coming through. Um, but more realistically, who I'd like to see win, Sitsabas, it's of course, would be great to see him make a deep run and go on to win. I think this is the surface for him to do it. And then, I mean, on the bottom half, there's really not much else. I mean, the fact, I was saying this to Eli earlier, the fact that it's the biggest shock of the tournament is seeing the second seed make it to the third round <laughs> is saying a lot. Um, and so I think there's not really much else open. I mean, I think we're all happy. Even I, I'm not a big Federer fan, but even I'm happy to see him back playing well. And I Excuse think Excuse me? Did you just say that you're happy to see Federer back playing well? I'm very glad we got this on tape. Especially beating, especially beating Marin Cilic. I was very happy to see that. <laughs> um, what about on the women's side? Do you guys have anyone who you really would like to see pull through? I know, Miller, you said Serena. What about you, Eli? Yeah, I was thinking Serena, too. I mean, I've, like, we've sort of always assumed she's going to get to 24 until very recently. Um, and now that's looking pretty unlikely, to be honest. So I'd really love to see her pull through there. Um, Besides that, I think at least I want to see Sabalenka make a deep run because I like her a lot. I know she's struggled in the majors. I don't think she's even reached a quarterfinal yet, um, which is pretty shocking. But I'd be happy for her to win. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to go into uh, recapping the second round. So we've sort of highlighted a few notable matches in the second round both on the ATP and WTA sides and why not kick it off with the ATP and why not kicking off kick, kick it off with no one other than Alejandro Davidovich Fokina beating 
Botik Van de Zanschulp. I butchered that name. Um, six four six four five seven two six six four in three hours and forty five minutes. So we saw Alejandro Davidovich Shokina. He tends to do pretty well on clay. He is always, I would say, a pretty decent dark horse when it comes to these matchups. Um, and we know you guys are big fans. So what do you guys think of his potential? Um, in this tournament in general, if he could sort of, or even going forward. I mean, he has been steadily improving the past few years. We saw him make the U.S. Open round of 16 as well, out of nowhere, seemingly. So would you say he's on a steady rise? Would you say, like, Clay, um, you know, is the best area for him? And how do you see him faring uh, in, the, in the next few days? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for his progress on all surfaces. Um, I mean, especially he's a, a junior Wimbledon champion, Um which is pretty crazy to think about um, when most, a lot of his progress has been on clay. Um, but yeah, I think he's, he's definitely an interesting one to watch for the future. Um, he's a little erratic, like both emotionally, um, <laughs> physically, and in terms of like the mood swings within the match. So I think he needs to work on that. But as far as his rise, I think he's just been going up um, for the last two years, really three years. Um, he... Yeah, I think in this tournament, obviously, Casper is a really tough ask tomorrow. Um, but you never know. We'll see. He's, you know, always a chance for an upset. Miller, what about you? I mean, I think um, when considering what's, what's his name? Uh, Botich van der Zandschultz. <laughs> um, I'm sorry to the people of wherever he's from. Um, I, I mean, I think considering him as a dark horse, there isn't really all that realistic because he is actually like definitely on the rise in terms of both his rankings even in a year where it's very hard to progress in the rankings and just in terms of overall performance and so while a couple of years ago this might have been a dark horse victory like when nobody knew who he was except for me and Eli um I think now it's just much more realistic to kind of see him as somebody who should be winning this match and so I'm really happy he did of course, I think it's hard to see him making a deep run in this tournament just because he's kind of such a head case. I mean, he choked away the third set. He could have made the, that match a lot easier for himself. And he has the talent to be playing much better than he does, but I think he's obviously just held back by inexperience and kind of bad mentality. And in terms of Kasparud tomorrow, I think it's definitely a tough ask, especially on Clay. But we've seen him beat him before, and so I think it'll be interesting kind of to come out and see how he's playing one thing if i may ask how did you guys become adf fans like for years now you've been adf fans like how did like how did this happen yeah this is kind of like a long origin story um but i don't know i just like noticed his name he beat i think like roberto carbias baena and like mm-hmm. some like i think like barcelona qualifying Oh, yeah. Josephina and I also have a very like we we also am not are not Roberto Carbaez fans because of, because of Shapovalov's loss to him at the yeah. French Open last year that was brutal. Okay, I can get on board with that, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I don't know. I just noticed his name. I liked his name. Um, we we started following him from there without really like having seen him play. Um, but he just happened to win Junior Wimbledon like soon after that, so we. I think we, we realized we would pick someone good there um, and kept following him since. That's like Josephina with Sebastian Corda. <laughs> yeah, so I'm actually a huge fan of Sebastian Corda. If you don't know this already, you probably do if you've listened to the podcast before. 
But um, yeah, I became a fan of his during the Western and Southern Open last year around that time, probably because I just saw his last name, recognized it because of Peter Corda, the past Australian Open champion. I was like, wait, I've seen this before. Yeah. Go ahead, Miller. I don't know, I was going to say, and especially for like me and Eli and our friend Jai, like all fans of a different big three member, it was nice for us to like actually be able to finally come behind someone together. Because like, um, we like... I mean, Eli saw his name, and we're like, oh, this is an interesting long Spanish name. Um, and then, since then, it's just been random that he's gotten good. I mean, he was this group of youngsters that all, most of them seem better than him, but he's ended up coming through and been better than most of them, if not all of them. And so it's been nice just also for us, just to have somebody we're not constantly fighting, and we can actually have somebody to get behind together. That's like us with Sarah Cerebus Tormo, in terms of picking the cool Spanish names. Josefina and I saw her doing well I think uh during the indoor season at the end of last year and we were like her name's cool let's let's see what she's about so the next match is Kane Shikori defeating Karen Kachanov the 23rd seed 4-6-6-2-2-6-6-4-6-4 wow a five setter and we cannot be more happy about Kay's win I mean it's so nice to see him doing well again and obviously he is a clay expert so this is not unexpected but the fact that he's kind of easing back into his time on the tour that's really what's the best part about this and actually at this rate he serves as a potential threat to Zverev in their potential clash in the round of 16 so that would be really cool to see him make it that far and maybe even to the quarterfinals I mean I know Shravi and I would be super happy to see that hopefully hopefully he can uh takes her about for all of our sakes wait we can all agree on that right i think we can yeah josephina we bring we bring decent people on the podcast (laughs) please please and then we have riley opelka the 32nd seed defeating huame munar six three six two three six seven five so it was nice to see opelka backing up his rome performance we know we he did great there it's really great to see him um, doing well on clay. Even in Rome, he said, uh, this was probably a fluke. So that was kind of funny. And I mean, I guess it's not. Um, and also, I mean, on the podcast, we like to talk about outfits quite a bit. So let's talk about the Fila tie-dye fits, okay? Opelka was rocking it. Schwartzman was rocking it. I mean, they looked awesome. Fila did a good job here. It's kind of funny. The height, dis- the height disparity is real. I know this joke is old, but, like, it's funny to see them uh, wearing that same outfit. Um, our next match is probably the most dramatic match out of all of these on the ATP side, which was Christian Guerin, the 22nd seed, defeating Mackenzie McDonald, 4-6-4-6-7-6-6-3-8-6 in 4 hours and 19 minutes. And Guerin actually had to save two match points in the third set, so... That was a pretty tight match, obviously. And this is also in the Opelka-Medvedev section of the draw, which I think Miller was kind of talking about, how the bottom half is pretty open, especially in the non-Sitsipas areas. So do we think that... What do you guys think? In terms of looking at that area of the draw, thinking about Opelka, thinking about Medvedev, thinking about Garen, who do you think is going to come out of that as a key contender for the quarterfinal? I think Medvedev. I mean, I think it, it could be surprising to hear, but... Um, with the way he's been talking in the, the press conferences about how he's mm-hmm. playing amazing on clay. And I know, he sounds so goes. confident all of a sudden, and I'm just like, <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah, I mean, 
it's not obviously not guaranteed, but he's played pretty well in his first two matches. Um, Opelka's going to be super tough, but yeah, I, I back him. I don't think Garen has enough experience in like latter stages of the slams to take him out. Yeah, I think um, I'd almost have to echo Eli's sentiments. I mean, it's very interesting because what I said before is about how it's so surprising coming into this tournament that we've seen the second seed make it to the third round. But now that he's in the third round, it seems like, what can't he do? Like, <laughs> he's now been playing amazing on hard court. He's been, um, and he somehow adapted his game style to play really well on clay also. And just kind of, it's impressive to see from somebody with relatively a lack of experience compared to some of the other players we're talking about in terms of winning, in terms of Djokovic and Nadal, and even Federer. And I think it's just, I mean, we're not talking about Federer winning, but... Um, but it's just like impressive to see that he's finally able after like a number of years of just really not holding back on his disdain for clay he's finally been able to kind of adapt and find a game style that worked for him and i think it's so impressive he's been able to do that yeah i think um during like the ro- like the clay season before this as you were saying, you could tell he did not want to be here and he did not like try hiding that either we haven't seen as much of that yeah, I remember, I think it was just last week or maybe two weeks ago, um, Medvedev was throwing a tantrum about playing on clay, but now that he's winning at the French Open, you know, doing fine, it's he's all cool with the clay. Yeah, I but, like, I think I saw a tweet about this, too. Like, um, I just think, like, for him, a player like him, who obviously does have the potential to go super far in slams, and he has that skill set, like... If he can just tell himself to, like, stop with that attitude for, like, one match and see how that goes, I feel like that has, like, seeing him a lot more mentally um, calm and stronger in those matches, I think will help in him in the long run. Um, another match that we're including here, it's kind of wild that this is now considered an upset, but Philip Kohlschreiber defeated Aslan Karatsev, the 24th seed, 6-3-7-6-4-6-6-1. And now, while Josefina and I have talked a lot about Karatsev's rise, Josefina's not too keen on Karatsev. I think he's fine. I have no real opinion. But, um, I mean, I can't help but remember that match versus Djokovic in Belgrade, uh, where he obviously beat Djokovic and then lost to Berrettini, which was fantastic. That was a beautiful, tor- that was a beautiful tournament. Um, but Miller, are you ever going to forgive him for beating Novak in Belgrade? You know, it's more that I won't forgive him for beating Diego Schwartzman and Grigor Dimitrov. And Felix. And Felix. And all in one run, suddenly out of nowhere. That's the, the exact reason. The Australian Open. Yeah, he had no right. <laughs> I, I'm too suspect because that was also seen like Grigor's tournament. Like he's playing amazing. I'm like, oh, I love Grigor. Like, I was so happy. I was at the game. He went five sets at the U.S. Open against Roger and won. Uh, and I was just like, I was so happy. Like I'm a huge Grigor fan. And so, Wait. yeah. Now that you mentioned that um, game versus Federer at the U.S. Open, that actually reminds us. Josephina and I were talking to one of our tennis coaches on the podcast, and he was working in the USTA locker rooms for that match. And he said that when Grigor came back from that match, he started blasting on the speakers, I want it that way, and was, like, singing it in the entire <laughs> locker room and was so happy. That makes so, me even happier. <laughs> that's such, I feel like that's a perfect Grigor thing to do. But, yeah, Karatsev, he he really will take out anyone. But, I don't know, maybe Philip Kohlschreiber is just dying to play John Isner again as if they haven't played enough times already. So that's why they're I mean, both still in here. 
Karatsev's the guy, uh, like Eli showed me this video, whose original claim to fame before suddenly making the semifinals of a major was having a YouTube video called Worst Second Serve of All Time, where yep. he was playing against Eli. Who was he playing against? He was, uh, playing, he was playing against, against like Quentin Ali, I think the French player. Um, and he hits the it, second it, it serve. It was something weird. Yeah, he, he hits the second serve that like almost hits the umpire in the face it's unclear <laughs> exactly where it goes but it, it's not close to the court put it that way that's uh, that's hilarious um yeah there's definitely we've definitely seen our fair share of weird atp player videos creep up on social media whether it be M- milos Raonic during the harlem shake or you know whatever whatever there's there's no shortage of funny videos of those guys and now, the match we've all been waiting for, Roger Federer, the 8th seed, defeating Marin Cilic, 6-2, So, um, I mean, Travi and I definitely were not expecting this. We definitely just ignore Federer's scores throughout the day so that we don't get stressed out about them because, obviously, we love him, but... Um, Chilich was definitely definitely a worthy opponent. I mean, he was the 2016 U.S. Open champion. 2014. Oh, yeah. It's not that big a difference. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, a match between the Grand Slam champions, one with the 2014 U.S. Open Championship, and then the other one with a few more. We like to downplay his, we like to downplay our expectations for him so that we're happier when he wins. So, yeah, let's um, discuss our expectations for Federer in this tournament. I mean, we've seen from his post-match interviews, all of his recent press conferences, that he does not hold high expectations for himself here on the clay season. He's doing it all for the grass season. So, I mean, what are you guys thinking? He's going to win the French Open. I mean, based on that, it's it's pretty obvious. No, I, I think we have to obviously temper our expectations, but... It's just so good to see him back. Um, I mean, it's unclear how much beating Marin Cilic actually means these days. Like, I think he yeah. can be, like, a pretty tough watch when he's not on. I didn't watch that much of the match today. Um, but if if he was playing well, I mean, I just guess he did get a set. Um, then that's a good win. Um, but it's just mostly, like, Federer's racket control. His timing seems like it's totally on right now. And so even if he's, like, you know... Even if he's like obviously doing the classic Federer, not converting break points, maybe not as fast as he used to be, um, you know that that timing and racket control is enough to beat almost every player. So we'll see. I think like I'm definitely not one to talk highly about Federer, but I mean at least until he starts doing Novak's in trouble. Like I think it's really good to see right now, and I think the best thing to take away from his match today is not really in beating Marin Cilic. To be a perfectly frank. I don't think it's beating Marin Cilic. I think what it's much more interesting to see is his eruption at the umpire and how angry he was at the insinuation that he was taking too long between points. Because that's really... A lot of what we've lacked from Roger has almost been, like, fire. And we're seeing more fire yeah. than we've seen in him in years, basically. He, I mean, when's the last time you can imagine, like, Roger yelling at a chair umpire and then yelling at his opponent? Uh, like, I can't even think of the last time. And so it's just, like, amazing. Like, he cares so much. And all of a sudden, after that, he's back. Like, he's down in the second set, and all of a sudden, he's playing even better tennis somehow. Yeah, I think, like, the way him bouncing back after that second set, and especially in that tie break, um, was pretty telling. Because you're right, like, he hasn't played that many matches. And, like, you know, when you're lacking match experience, you know, that can be tough sometimes. But 
um, I would say that, like, regardless, I, and he's talked about it himself, like, in his, not only in his post-mass press interview, but, like, for the past weeks, he's, like, kept emphasizing that the clay season is really just about him getting more match experience. He has zero expectations for himself. This is all in preparation for the grass. So, um, I think that attitude, you can sense that attitude from him. He's pretty chill and lax, it seems. Um, but yeah, we'll see how he does. So he definitely does have a more difficult draw ahead of him as we get to the round of 16 and onwards. Um, now let's go on to the WTA. So, um, in terms of the round two recap, first we've got Coco Goff, the 24th seed, defeating, um, Chiang Wang, 6-3-7-6. And this was actually a rematch of the Parma final just last week, I think, or like maybe the week before, where Coco recently won her second title. And this was her 23rd win in 21, uh, 2021. So, Coco is already in the top five on the WTA for most victories this year. So, pretty impressive from her. I think people have been noticing that, especially on clay, she is she is really comfortable on that surface. Um, and she's in Barty's quarter. So, I mean, Ash Barty is obviously out now due to injury, which was sad to see. Um, but just realistically looking at the draw, Goff has a pretty good shot of reaching the quarterfinals. And, I mean, obviously it's a big pressure situation, but I guess the question that we pose is, do, do we see her getting there? And, I mean, if she were to get there, her probable quarterfinal opponent would either be Alina Svitolina or Carolina Mohova. So could we even possibly see Coco Goff reaching the semis of the French Open? I mean, personally, I don't see that. I think Jen Brady is going to win this match, um, which is the third round match, which is a super difficult match. Um, so I think before, I think if she gets through that, then yeah, I, I do think she has a, a very good chance of reaching the quarters of the semis. Um, but I think the biggest challenge right now is the the third round match. Um, obviously, I think Brady had a tough match today against um, Fiona Farrow, where she just came through. Um, but just her experience um, and her like ability on clay, which I think she hasn't really shown it yet. But I think with that like heavy topspin forehand, that should really be a formula to succeed on clay. And I think we might see her make a, a deep run at this tournament. Yeah, we're we're also uh, pretty big. Brady fans. Josephina more so than me, but we're both uh, hoping for a good run for her because we haven't seen Jen Brady do that well on clay yet. But I mean, the same goes for her with Ash out of the section. It opens up opportunities for both of them because I think they'd be the strongest contenders to reach the quarterfinals from that like um, topmost section. Miller, what are what are your thoughts on Coco Goff, Jen Brady, the Ash quarter of the draw? I mean, I think in terms of the quarters and her possibly getting to the semis, that seems like a big ask, and it looks kind of a lot to be thinking about. I think really when you're asking about her making the semis, you have to look much more not at her quarter or whether she's going to even make it through there, but look at the big chokers in the quarter below her. You have Sloane Stevens, Muchova, and Svitolina all in that quarter. Those are the definitely the top four, top three of the four players in that quarter. You could see any of them getting through depending how they're playing. Sloane Stevens. I mean, I think this was her first. Top, I could be wrong here. I think this was her first top ten win in, a, in three, four, five yeah. years. Yeah, four since two thousand. I, I believe on a Tennis Channel. I was watching this morning. They said the first top ten win she's had since the WTA Finals in two thousand eighteen. So. Yeah. It doesn't surprise. It doesn't surprise me. Right. And I mean, so I think you definitely have her. This is. I mean, this is could be a big boost of confidence. But we've seen her fall apart before. 
And then Svitolina, on the other hand, also not known, I guess, for mental stamina in the same way. And so I think you have to look at that definitely when considering whether she'll make a semifinal run, whether they fall off or whether they keep going strong. And, of course, her toughest opponent, I think, of all of those might be Jen Brady, the one she's playing first. And if she loses Jen Brady, of course, any of that is out of the question. Yeah, I feel the clay definitely opens up options because there's not a lot of players that really have a great grasp of experience there. I mean, last year we saw Nadia Podoroska making the semifinals out of nowhere. Maybe something like that can happen again this year. So then we have Sloane Stevens, which we were talking about defeating Karolina Pliskova, the ninth seed, seven five six one. And like you were saying, this is her first top 10 win since the WTA finals in 2018. But at the same time, Karolina Pliskova has been, like, flopping a little bit lately, so... She has her, like, yeah. week of glory in Rome, and then just, like... Nothing. Goes that away. came crashing down pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's nice to see Sloane doing well, though. I still think, like, that's a good confidence-boosting win. Like, we talk about that a lot, but um, you could see how happy she was after the match, so... Um, and I mean, Sloan reached the final here just two years ago, so she has good memories at this tournament. Um, oh, not two years ago. I think it was a, a, a three years ago, um, but fairly recently. Um, our next result, this wasn't really a match, but um, it was the match that was supposed to happen was Elena Vesnina versus Petra Kvitova, the 11th seed, and Petra withdrew. We talked about this in our last episode. She injured herself during a press conference which is just i think if you want to if you want to describe this tournament so far in one news story i think that's the perfect one um and actually this is a nice story because elena well not the petra getting injured part but the vesnina being in a third round of a grand slam part because she has recently just come back from maternity leave i think her first tournament back was miami um or she doha. she got a wild doha yeah. oh okay um so she's only came back fairly recently, um, and Roland Garros was the last tournament she played before going on maternity leave. So um, it's nice to see it kind of come full circle here again. Um, but back to the Petra withdrawing thing, now we have four Grand Slam champions who were four of the big contenders to make deep runs here. Ash Barty, Petra Kvitova, Naomi Osaka, and Bianca Andreescu out of the women's draw now. So... Now we want to ask you guys, I mean, what opportunities do you think this opens up, and who do you think are the favorites now um, for taking the title? I mean, I know you guys said Iga in the beginning. Do you, um, in addition to her, who do you see maybe making some inroads in the other half of the draw? Yeah, I think when you look at the bottom half, um, I definitely see opportunities for two kind of forgotten players, but still of a younger generation. I think... Daria Kasakina had a great win today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think two and two over Bencic, which was pretty surprising. Um, and it's just great to see her playing like that because she was really supposed to be um, alongside this generation of Osaka and Barty and players like that. Um, but she really hasn't come on as much as we would have hoped since that um, Indian Wells final uh, in, I think, 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'd really like to see her go far. I also think under the radar again is Marketa Vondrusheva, who somehow made the finals here two years ago. Um, and in that bottom quarter, there's not a lot of, um, you know, there's really not a lot of firepower. Um, I'd say Bedosa's definitely in the mix there too. 
Um, but I think those three players are probably the most likely to make the semifinals out of that. Um, yeah, I don't know what you think, Mother. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely hard on the women's side, and it has been for, I mean, it's, it's years now. Like Especially since Serena hasn't been as good, it's almost seemed like that kind of predictability has also fallen away. You really can see almost, I could see in many ways, half of the players in this draw making it very far. And so it, I wouldn't say it's luck, but I'd say it's almost maybe mentality, maybe lack of experience on this surface for almost all of them. And so I think it's really hard to predict. Definitely, if we're looking at experience, Serena, I mean, I'm really, really hoping she does well. I still think Iga is going to do very, very well. Um, but she is, she has a tough match in front of her. She is a net cultivate coming up. And so I think you kind of wonder, especially with these younger people, just lack of experience. I mean, it seems so fragile, all of their success that it could almost, it could be any of them who makes it far. Yeah. Yeah. I think definitely definitely the two people we had an eye on were Irina Sabalenka, um, and Paula Bedosa because Paula Bedosa has been doing really well and she was in the Bianca Naomi section of the draw, and they're both out now. So, to me at least, and also Kudermatova's out too, and she was probably the other sort of big person in that section. So, to me at least, that seems like a potential semifinal spot for her. So, our next match is Victoria Zarenka, the 15th seed, defeating Clara Tellison, seven five six four. So, we haven't seen a Zarenka a lot this year. Her most recent tournament was at the beginning of May, which was the Madrid 1000. And we saw her last year at the in the hardcourt swing in August, September area, where she made the final of the Western... No, she won the Western and Southern Open, and then she made the final of the U.S. Open. So it was definitely a huge resurgence. So it was kind of sad to not see her really bring that back, bring that same energy this year. But um, her opponent, Clara, won in Lyon earlier this year, so we're kind of waiting for her Grand Slam breakthrough, and Victoria Zarenka was able to make it through. I mean, Clara is a valid opponent because she she proved that she can win tournaments and make it through far. She can make it deep in tournaments, so it's definitely a nice win for Azarenka with coming back into the tour and getting used to the surface again. Yeah. Another person who we haven't really seen, it's actually nice to see her and Sloan making this sort of resurgence together, but Madison Keys, the 23rd seed, who took out Leila Fernandez, 6175. Um, she's also someone who's been struggling lately, but um, hopefully that, you know, looking at her draw too, maybe there's some opportunities for her uh, to have like the confidence boosting run that she needs, but she's also through to the third round. So then we have Katarina Senyorkova defeating Veronica Kudrumatova, the 29th seed, 7-6-5-7-7-5. So obviously that score is really close, and the match was super long, 2 hours and 52 minutes. And while Senyorkova doesn't really have the cleanest record and nicest record this year, she definitely got one of her biggest career wins in Parma recently versus Serena Williams to make the semifinals. So that was definitely a confidence booster, and I think she really used that momentum to move through this tournament into the third round. So, and also this is Senior Kova's fourth year in the third round at the French Open. And we were talking about how some of these wins, some of these um, top 20 wins really opened up the draw. So the same thing is really going on here um, in what was Bianca and Naomi's section. It's completely wide open now. We have Bedosa, Vondrasova, 
um, Kasakina. So what do you guys think? Who is most likely to make it out of this quarter? You can only pick one person. I know when we last talked about it, you guys threw out a bunch of names, but now you have to pick one person. Okay, I picked Bedosa then. I think I think she had a great match today um, against, I forget who she was playing, but I think she won like Love and Two, um, which was super impressive. Uh, she beat Barty in Charleston. She made the semis in Madrid. I think she's just been having, I think she just won a title also. Um, so a great clay court season for her, probably the most likely in my book. Yeah, I would have to agree with Eli. Um, Von Drusova's match uh, in the third round seems like it won't be such an easy walk in the park. And then again, she'd have to get through another tough match to get out of the quarter, um, likely against Bedosa. So I have to go with Bedosa on this one. Yeah. All right, the last noble match, which I think Eli brought up earlier, is Daria Kazakina defeating Belinda Bencic, the 11th seed, 2-2. Two and two. Um, And this is her first time being in the third round of the major since Wimbledon 2018. So, I mean, she was also one of those super talked about players a few years ago, as you were saying. Um, part of that like first wave of WTA next gen Um, and you know didn't quite you know she's had injuries she just hasn't you know had the same success as people like Naomi and Andrescu Um, but again she's in that quarter opportunity there for her Um, so we'll see how that goes. So now we have our kind of top seed check-ins, starting with the ATP side, where we have the top three seeds, Novak, Daniil, and Rafa. They're all through. And also Tsitsipas, the fifth seed, is also through. He's definitely a big contender here. But, I mean, two weeks ago, if somebody would have told me that Daniil Medvedev is into the third round of the French Open, I probably would have laughed at them. And I definitely said before this tournament, just just to say it, that it would have been hilarious if Daniil won the whole thing, just because it's definitely something that's probably, he's probably the least expected to win, like even though he the, is the second seed. I feel like that fits with his character, though. Yeah. Like, you know, like, when he made, like, the final of the U.S. Open a few years ago, and, like, everyone was like, what is going on? And I feel like, you know, he's, like, the type of person who would be... He would, would do it just to spite chaos. everyone. He would do it just Exactly. Like he would be there for the chaos. Yeah, unfortunately... I mean, I think he's doing it. Yeah, go ahead. Time. I was just say, I mean, it just reminds me of his press conference. Like, when when people are against him, he just does even better, it seems right? like. Right? Like, he's not throwing some... He's not throwing some curious tantrum being like, I'll see you in, like, the grass court season. <laughs> he's, like, actually doing what he did. He said this in a speech when he won... He's like, remember when you sleep tonight or something? Your booze made me win. Yeah. And so it's like, I mean, it's just so, it's such a him thing to do, despite everybody, just to do well. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the other sort of area of the draw that we've got our eyes on for a potentially exciting quarterfinal um, is that Alexander Zverev and Kasper Ruud are through to the third round in straight sets. Um, if Zverev is able to get past Nishikori and Ruud past Alejandro Davidovich Fokina and they uh, continue to go further. They could potentially meet in the quarterfinals because they both seem to be the favorites to make the quarters. We're biased. I think all four of us would agree on this, but in that situation, were that to happen, it would be amazing to see Casper getting to the semis. Um, but I don't know. I just think he's been really impressive this entire clay season. We've always known that clay is his best surface, but this is like the season where he really did, um, you know, come through. He made the semis. Um, of one of the 1000s, and then he won in Geneva. So I, I think it's he's finally kind of establishing himself. 
So do you guys have anything to say about him having to beat Fokina on the way there? I mean, I think he will do it. Um, I, I'm sort of a pessimistic fan in me there, but I think, yeah, he'll, I think he should be able to get by Davidovich Fokina. I think their only meeting was actually at the next-gen finals a few years ago, um, which is, was an interesting one, a, a good old five-setter with a bunch of four threes. Um, but, but, yeah, I don't know. I think um, Davidovich Fokina does tend to be freed up when he's playing against players who are better than him. Um, but I still expect Rude to get through that. So then we have some Italians, actually. Sinner, the 18th seed, and Berrettini, the 9th seed. Also Lorenzo, he's not a top seed, though, so just throwing that name in there um, because we're fans. But I know Ber- Shravia is, like, the craziest Berrettini fan I've ever met. It's <laughs> kind of insane because I'm not really that big of a fan, but just because of her, I've tried to, you know, support him at least a little bit. Just as a good podcast co-host, I mean, it comes with the job. <laughs> but um, we're probably going to see a Yannick Rafa um, round of 16, which is kind of insane, and then a Federer Berrettini round of 16. So these two Italians definitely have their matches stacked up for them. Um, it'll definitely be interesting to see if they do make it past and into the quarterfinals, but it's definitely unlikely, especially for Rafael um, I mean, for Yannick and versus Nadal, but I mean, Bertini definitely has a chance. Yeah, it sucks to it sucks to say that though, because if it's like it's Federer Bertini to say that Bertini has a chance, I mean, it's bittersweet because I would love that matchup. But this is Miller Djokovic's section of the draw, um, with the Fed Bertini part specifically. Um, what are you thinking? Are you, are you, I mean, it seems like if we're to, I really don't hope, I really hope I'm not jinxing this, but it seems like the favorite, um, for, you know, those quarterfinals would be Djokovic versus Berrettini. Are you sweating about that, or you think Djokovic has that in the bag? I'm not sweating that very much, but what I'm sweating much more is Djokovic-Federer. I Mm. really, I see Federer getting through this one big time. I mean, this is a very interesting matchup because, at least in terms of the rankings and their seeds, because neither of them deserve to be where they are in the rankings <laughs> yeah. right now. We don't talk about so that, that have, but yes. So the fact that you have the 8th seed versus the ninth seed and Federer, I mean, he, the number of competitive matches he's played in the past year and done well at is um, is almost depressing. And then you have Berrettini living off his glory days at the US <laughs> Open. Oh, come on. The Madrid um, final? That's that's and, enough to be there. Yeah, the Belgrade two hundred and fifty <laughs> event. <laughs> um, so I'm not I'm not all that worried. I don't think Novak would have trouble against either of them. In so I could see him having trouble in different ways against either of them. I don't really see Federer as much of an issue, but Djokovic. I mean, he hasn't really had to prove himself that much this tournament so far. I mean, he's coming in. He's beat Pablo Cuevas. I thought round. Tennis Sandgren <laughs> was a pretty tough matchup, Miller. <laughs> Look, honestly, tennis. I was watching that match, and Tennis Sandgren did not play bad tennis. He was playing pretty well that match, and it was clear the frustration. I mean, obviously, he started to tail off. But in the first set, it honestly looked like there was nothing he could do to get past Novak. It seemed like every game Novak was getting a break point, and it seemed like every game he was getting he was holding it love, except for like a couple of games here and there. And so I think in that instance, Djokovic has proved himself this tournament. But I think Djokovic, 
more than the other big three in certain ways, is more prone to shock losses. And so I think that's definitely going to be an interesting test for him to get through, and we'll test him definitely before he gets to it all. All right. Well, to wrap up the ATP top seed stitch to check in, we discussed Diego Schwartzman, the 10th seed, getting through in straight sets. So that's nice to see because he has been having a pretty, uh, uh, has been struggling a bit lately. But then we have also saw a couple of upsets, not like huge upsets, but worth mentioning. Yeah. Uh, Demonor and Roberto Batista Goot. I mean, I'm sad about Agut. Demonor was kind of expected. I'm surprised he made it <laughs> this far in the tournament. Um, but yeah, I mean, Agut definitely serves as kind of a player that can beat the top players since he is one himself. He's a great player. It's just he hasn't really used that success much this recently, so that's kind of upsetting. But still, hopefully he has some sort of resurgence later this year. Yeah, I can I just say also, on, on the Diminor match, um, a loss to a player that Miller and I are not fond of whatsoever. Sketchinado. Um, oh, Mar- oh, would you guys Marcus like to... Sketchinado. Would you guys like to elaborate on why you're not fans of him? Yeah, <laughs> sure. So, you're like, go um, ahead. Yeah, so I, ahead. I've never been a fan of him. I just, one of the first Pablo matches I watched was against him. He kind of rugged me wrong, <laughs> the wrong way um, in some challenger. Um, but soon after that, he was actually banned for match-fixing. Um, for like two years and he was basically let off on a technicality um, that they like didn't gather enough evidence in enough time um, which was you know kind of a dubious thing for him to get off on and his run to the semifinals of Roland Garros in 2018 was kind of in the shadow of that and I think he still should have been suspended for match fixing at that point so um, he's kind of a sketchy character which is why we call him Sketchinato over here (laughs) Um, so not happy to see him doing well. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, we're going to wrap it up with the WTA top seed check-in before just listing out some of the most exciting round three matches coming up. Um, but, Josefina, you want to tell us who we who all eyes are on going into the French Open? Yeah, well, because Barty obviously retired this round with the hip injury and she's the first seed, and then we had Naomi Osaka withdraw. I guess all eyes are on Sabalenka. She is now the third seed, which is... She's definitely picked up her ranking this past six months, so it's crazy to see her as a third seed at a Grand Slam because we haven't really seen her really make that um, breakthrough when it comes to Grand Slams. Uh, Shravi and I always say that she's kind of the Rublev of the WTA side because they're both so good in the smaller tournaments, but when it comes to Grand Slams, it's just surprising to see them make it far. Um, but yeah, definitely Sabalenka has expectations now, and she did before, but now it's really on her, and she has a huge chance here. Yeah, I think another person that's going under the radar is Sophia Kennan. Like, I don't think anyone really had many expectations for her because of her appendicitis uh, injury, uh, uh, surgery, um, and coming back from that, she hasn't been in great form, but she is through, um after that difficult first run versus Ostapenko and then backing it up in straight sets with another win. And then she's also in the same half as Alina Svitolina, who also won, and I think those are two players currently who we don't don't really know what to expect from. But um, I hope maybe, you know, we can see them making some inroads here because Sophia Kennan does have a heck of a lot of points to defend at this tournament considering she was the finalist last year. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of Kennan and Svitolina, I mean, the second and third quarters are completely packed, even though the first and fourth are, like, 
completely bare, complete opposites, which is crazy. I mean, in the second quarter, we have Kenan, Pagula, Sakari, Mertens, Contivate, and Sviatek. So three-fourths of the quarter is seated, and then we just have this um, match in the middle of, I believe, one qualifier and another unranked player. And then we have... Um, in the third quarter, Serena, Azarenka, Keys, and Sabalenka, which is insane that they're all in the middle of this. Um, but obviously, since they are the second and third quarter, none of these players would meet until the final. But still, when it comes to the individual quarters, it's crazy to see who would come through. I mean, when it comes to the first and fourth quarters, it's like we don't know who's going to get through because it's so wide open. But then in the second and third, it seems everyone is... They're all such good competition for each other, so they're also, it's really hard to tell who's going to make it through, except for maybe Sviatek. The WTA is always random, because so, it's so close in competition. I think the French Open kind of takes that always to a new level, as we saw last year. So, um, moving on to kind of previewing some ATP Round 3 matches. Uh, first, we have Rude versus Alexandre. Alexandra, uh, Alejandro, oh my god, <laughs> Alejandro <laughs> Davidovich Fakina, and we were talking about this a little bit, um, before, well, actually a lot of it, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, we think that Root is gonna get through, if you guys want to choose a winner, and kind of put some reasoning behind it. Yeah, I choose Root, um, unfortunately, but he's been playing so well, I think he beat Sitsipas earlier, um, in the clay season, he's just been an absolute stud, he just won a title, um, and I think this, I think Davidovich Vakina might get a set, um, but ultimately Rude is going to be too solid for him. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with that Rude's going to win, but just making Alejandro's case a little bit, I definitely see this game, this match, if Alejandro somehow wins it, there's no chance it's not five sets. Um, <laughs> I mean, it would definitely, it would have to be. There has to be some falling and... involved too. He hasn't fallen in a match in a while. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this would definitely be a match riddled with underarm serves and drop shots and heavy topspin. And so I think ADF could turn up here because we don't, we've don't we never seen him do well against a really, really, really strong player. But against a 15 seed like Rude, I think he could pull it out. I, I don't know. I think I definitely think there's a chance. I don't think this one's in the bag yet. Uh, yeah, and then we have Fognini versus Delbonis. This is definitely an interesting match because we haven't really seen Fognini do too well this past year, especially in the clay season. So to see him make a breakthrough here, he's definitely a skilled player and we expect him to make it farther. So this could be a great opportunity for him. And then we have definitely an interesting one, John Isner versus Stefano Tsitsipas. Um, Tsitsipas is probably definitely the favorite here. He's one of the favorites for even the entire tournament at this point because of his um, clay success this past year and in this clay season. But, I mean, John Esner kind of always serves as a threat, which is Serves as a threat. I see yeah, what you did there, Josefina. Serves <laughs> no, as no, a threat. No, no, no. That was completely unintentional, but <laughs> I'm just going to act like I did that on purpose. Um, <laughs> and then we have another giant, Riley Opelka versus Medvedev. So, yeah, again... Oh, he serves that no it's already done we already <laughs> made that joke um yeah so Medvedev in the third seed I mean in the third round crazy so maybe Opelka can stop this madness he probably won't <laughs> we don't know it's kind of funny because I know Opelka after Rome 
when he reached the semis in, he, in a press conference, he was like, I think this is a fluke, but I'll run with it. Like, he said something along those lines. So, I don't know what's happening there either. Um, all right, lastly, a few uh, WTA third-round matches that we're excited about are Brady versus Goff, which we uh, discussed a bit. Sloane Stevens versus Carolina Muhova. This could be a big... Um, uh, this could be a big sort of teller of who's strong in that top part of the draw. And then we've got Victoria Azarenka versus Madison Keys, um, which is also um, interesting since both neither of them have been doing really that well this season yet. All right, so to conclude the episode, we're bringing back a segment that Josephina, I don't even know how long it's been since we did our last aces and double faults, but I mean, because it's Roland Garros, we gotta have a double fault section and some aces to make it a bit happier. So basically an ace is sort of a highlight from the tennis world in the past few days, some good piece of news, and then a double fault is exactly the opposite, something either disappointing, sad, um, bad, just something on the negative side that we didn't really like. It's like a rose and a thorn, but in tennis terms. Yeah, so our ace is actually a really great one, we think. Um, This organization, Calm, they advocate for mental health everywhere, whether it be in sports or especially this one has to do with sports. But um, yeah, they're just a um, mental health organization and they are donating $15,000 in solidarity with Naomi Osaka's decision to pull out of the French Open to the Laureus Sports Foundation to support their mental health efforts. So this is great. And also, I think the best part is that they're also offering to pay the fines of any players who opt not to attend press conferences at Grand Slams due to mental health reasons. So um, this kind of serves as an as something that Naomi Osaka was actually taken down for because people were saying that she had the privilege to do this and opt out of these press conferences because of how much money she's made, whether it be in off-the-court um, endeavors or just on the court from her um, prize money. But still, now all players are given this opportunity because Calm is donating the money to these players who ever doesn't want to attend press conferences due to mental health reasons, and we think that's great. Yeah, all right. Eli, hit us with your ace. Okay, so my ace, um, we talked about her a little bit already, but I'm going to go with Sloane Stevens, um, just winning and just playing well and feeling like she's in a better place overall because she's really been having a difficult time recently. Um, I think there was just a New York Times article that um, interviewed her about her mental health struggles, so kind of on a similar theme. Um, She, like, lost both of her grandparents and an aunt to COVID-19 last year, so that was obviously pretty difficult for her. Um, And she uh, talked about how she regretted, like, not going to her grandparents' funeral when she was in the Australian Open quarantine, which is just really sad to hear. Um, So I just have... I felt really bad for her recently, and I'm so glad that at least she's, like, starting to be in a better place on court, because she's had a tough time um, on the court, too. So, two more of that. For sure. Um, Miller, what what about you? I'm so sad this is being recorded, because I'm about to say Uh-oh. something I never, ever thought I would say. Oh, my God! Oh, my God, I think I can tell what it's going to be! She can tell what it's going to be. Maybe, like, the Pfizer's acting up in my veins or something. Like, something, <laughs> must, something must be wrong. I must be sick. Um, I am about to say something I never ever thought I would say, which is that I am happy to see Roger Federer competing at the level he is right now. <laughs> I think after being out for a year, 
with knee problems, coming back, performing pretty badly. I mean, losing, uh, I mean, easy matches. And all of a sudden, to see him playing well, especially on clay, is it's definitely a good thing to see. It's good for the tennis world. I mean, I don't really... As, I, I don't know if he'll be able to compete up there with Novak and Rafa anymore. Probably not. But it's nice to see somebody actually coming in and changing things up because we've seen the young players can't do it. So it's like, why not bring in somebody old who can do it instead? And so I think it's just... I, I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm... I, it makes me happy that he's... Are you getting sentimental? I'm definitely... No, Are you getting, getting emotional? I'm getting he's emotional. Tearing <laughs> he's tearing up. He's tearing up, guys. He's tearing up. I'm just fully <laughs> weeping at this point. Um, but I just think... I think it's a good thing for the tennis world. I mean, he's the most beloved tennis player probably of all time. And so to see this, I think it's just... It's only a good thing for the sport. It's only bringing more fans, only bringing more money, and only bringing more excitement to the tour. All right, I feel like we should have started with double faults so that we ended on a happy note, but I guess we're going to be ending with the double faults. But uh, Josefina and I picked, this is a sad one, but Coco Golf and Venus Williams, who we were so excited about that they were partnering together as a doubles team as potentially the only thing that we were happy about with this tournament. They unfortunately lost their first round match. They were up a set and a break, but ended up losing to the 13th seeds, 6-7, 6-4, 6-3. So... That was sad, especially now that Venus is out of both draws. But at least Coco's still in the singles. But then we have her playing Brady, so who we also like. So it, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a complicated situation there. Eli, what's your uh, double fault? Okay, so this is a pretty general one, but my double fault is Alexander Zverev's draw, and <laughs> this is a a pretty obvious one. But I think we all we all hate him here for you know obvious reasons. Um, so I've been hate-watching both of his matches at this tournament. And he's been <laughs> double-faulting up the storm, you know, making terrible errors, like getting down on himself. And he's just not been playing against functional ATP players. Like, uh, <laughs> Oscar Atta, I don't know how he was, like, winning two sets, but even when he was winning those sets, it looked like he was just getting killed. Um, and then Roman Sefielin, just, yeah, he, he didn't have anything that could really... Zverev, he was up a break in like all of the sets and he, yeah. he lost it. Um, and then in terms of the future threats to Zverev, Roberto Bautista Agut lost a match he never should have lost, um, which would have been Zverev's fourth round um, opponent. So now that's going to be an easier one. Um, that might be Nishikori, but he's played like 10 hours of tennis. So he's probably going to be tired by that point. So I'm just not happy that Alexander Zverev probably has a good chance of getting to the latter stages of this tournament despite his very poor play. Yeah, I think we counted when we were looking at the draw that Zverev has six qualifiers in his quarter, and there's like four in the entire rest of the tournament, which is insane. That's just not right. Yet another reason to hate this tournament. I don't think I'll ever stop with my anti-Roland Garros agenda. Like, it just it just simply is the worst Grand Slam. That's just my opinion. Okay, the stadium is not even named after anybody related to tennis. It's named after a French <laughs> aviator who died at the age of, like, 30. Like, I don't really understand. Last year at the French Open, because um, th- this is the first Grand Slam that we're covering for the second time on the podcast because um, of the weird scheduling last year. Last year we, we did, like, a little trivia question, and one of our questions was, like, 
related to Philippe Chatrier and him being an aviator, and like I also don't understand why. I'm talking about I'm talking about Roland Garros. Oh 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 yeah yeah he oh was, sorry my he was bad. also That's an what aviator. What's with the aviators? Like, yeah yeah. What's with the people? I I don't understand it. It's a bad tournament through and through. <laughs> Wait, is it? Is it just me who always assumed Roland Garros was a place? Is that not what it is? <laughs> no, oh, I know Wimbledon Roland is a Garros. place. And then okay. Australia is know. a place. <laughs> 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 Alright, Miller, what's your double fault? I mean, you've probably already covered this in the last episode, but just like the top of the women's field in general, it just seems like... I mean, it's what you'd almost expect from the French Open. Such a train wreck of yeah. everything. I mean, it just seems like... <laughs> first, you have... Like, I won't go into the whole Naomi Osaka thing, because that's just, like, very political, and it's... You, I'm sure you've already talked about it, and it's a very lengthy conversation. But then you have uh, Petra Kvitova going up, and somehow also at a press conference getting her tournament taken away from her. And then you have Ash Barty who's very well regarded, very well liked, all of a sudden getting a hip injury. And so it just seems like they're getting picked off one by one. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen next. It just seems, it seems so unfortunate, both for the tour and the fact that you have the grass court season coming up soon and we don't know how soon any of these players will return. It's like a and horror also, movie. It is. I mean, they're just, they're going one by one. I mean, it's like the Agatha Christie book. Um, and, and then there were none, yeah. And then there were none. And so it's like, I mean, who even knows if we'll have two players in the final? Like, we'll, yeah. I, mean, I think it's I just... feel like we were, we were, Josephine and I were talking about this before, but, like, I, I have a strong, unless, like, Sabalenka or Iga, like, really pull through, there really could be a Yelena Ostapenko-type situation at this French Open. Look, I mean, Yelena Ostapenko, I think, is... I don't even want to get into what I think of her, um, but I, I, it's just is such it's such a weird tournament. I think it's so disappointing to all tennis fans who really want to be seeing, especially in the many months now since the Australian Open. Like tennis fans, always we come out at the French Open seeing like, okay, this is the season now where we're gonna have three Grand Slams in the series of three months, and so it's like, who's gonna be the competitor? Who's gonna be good? Who's gonna be strong? And we come out and we're just seeing them all flop and just, like, be, be like, killed, basically. And it's just, like, so, I think it's really hard to watch as a fan. Wow. wow well, that was, a, that, was that was a harsh, harsh way to end um, the episode. But Miller and Eli, uh, we really enjoyed having you on. Thank you for joining us. And, um, yeah, we will see how the rest of this tournament plays out. Because even though it's felt like it's been forever, we're still only on round three. So we'll, we'll continue to trudge through this tournament. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the French Open this week and, of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold on to your racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at HOTYR underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released after the round of 16 of Roland Garros. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.